Well, again, good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. We are in the midst of a teaching series that's entitled Sure Thing, and the title of this morning's teaching is simply going to be a guaranteed trajectory. Trajectory. Now, before we get to that, we have a very special group of people, pretty sizable group of people here at City who are involved in education. And I know that this morning you are in the final throes of preparation for a new school year. We have people on faculty at UVA, we have teachers, we have administrators, we have people that are involved in a lot of different ways in our community with education. And so recognizing that, you might not be this morning at the height of excitement for the start of a new year. Others of you might just feel like you're pressing up against the door and you just can't wait to burst in. And others of you are somewhere in between. We want to pray for you. We want to pray with you that God would help you. Because in a lot of ways, you all are on the front lines of what happens in our community. And so if you are involved in, in education, public, private, university, whatever, administration, actual faculty, coaching, whatever it might be, we're going to ask for you to stand. So go ahead and stand. I want you to give these people a hand. And uh, no, you cannot be seated. You have to remain standing. And we're going to pray with you and we're going to pray for you that God will bless you. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for each man and each woman that is standing. I pray that you would comfort them, that you would be their peace and their strength. God, I can only imagine what it looks like to work in the educational system, but I'm praying that a unique and fresh calling would rest on each man and each woman, that this truly would be a calling from you. God, we understand that in the midst of each calling, there are good days and there are challenging days. There are times where we feel prepared and other times where we feel that we're just pressing through, trying to make it through the end of the day. But in the midst of whatever season of teaching and being part of education there is, for each person that's standing, I'm praying and I'm asking you that you would be with them, that you would be their peace, that you would be their calm. And when someone that they work with or someone that they teach really tests their very last nerve, I pray that your love would extend through them beyond human love and that there'd be the ability to love what may seem the unlovable and to teach the unteachable and to support those who don't even care. So God, bless each person. Give them your strength and your calling and your equipping. In Jesus' name we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give them a hand again as they're seated. Thank you all for serving. And again, the, the teaching series that we are in is entitled The Sure Thing. And I don't know how you are, but the current events, the recent events that took place in and through Charlottesville, I know that a sense of sure things needs to happen. One other thing that I do want to reference is that because of some extras this morning, I know that the original offering did not happen. And so what we're going to do is you exit the auditorium. If those who have the buckets could just set them out there and then maybe man those and woman those buckets as we're exiting the auditorium. But back to the thing at hand. I want to say that the scripture that I'm getting ready to read and what we're going to focus on has really helped me during this season here in Charlottesville. And so I'm going to talk about, again, guaranteed trajectory. And I love the word trajectory. It's a cool word. 
It kind of gives you the sense of movement and motion. It gives you the sense that you're actually heading somewhere. And so there is a guaranteed trajectory from God for us that's a sure thing. And so in line with that, I want to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. You'll find that on page 947 in the Bibles we provide. If you're utilizing a smartphone, we're just going to read two verses, two verses together, and they're going to be kind of be the entrepreneurial bedrock that this teaching will move up and out of. So I want to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, and then I have a few more comments from what happened last weekend. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 to 14. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now just pushing the pause button, Paul's gospel, the good news, the Greek word eungelion literally means good news. The good news that Paul preached was simply this. Jesus Christ, dead, buried, and resurrected. And that when you put your faith, hope, and trust in him, wherever you've been and whatever you've done is covered in him. And not only that, because he defeated death through the resurrection by faith and following in him, you too have eternal life. Amen goes there. And so as we look at this text, he says this, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Going on, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Everyone say seal. Seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, say deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. Say inheritance. How many of you like the sound of that word? If you raise your hand, it means you're younger. Figure that joke out. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession pause to the praise of his glory. Now, before we dissect these verses and practically apply them to their lives, I have a few more thoughts from last weekend. If you want to hear my primary thoughts, we have those on video from last Sunday morning. But this Sunday morning, I have something that has kind of settled into my heart from last weekend, and I want to share it with you. It's this. What I saw last weekend was the end, the finishing point of what it looks like when people have racism or hate or bigotry or maybe just anger in their hearts. It's kind of the end of that, the trajectory of that. And in the midst of it, I examine my own heart and I'm committed to doing this often. Lord, is there anything in me with anger or hate or racism or bigotry against other people or against another person. But what we saw last weekend was the ending point, the landing point of the trajectory of anger or hate or racism or bigotry. We saw it played out. And as I've thought about and looked in the rearview mirror of last weekend, Friday night and Saturday, that's what really struck me was it was kind of those things played out real time all over the world. But here's what I sensed in prayer to talk about this morning in relationship to that. Some of us would say, you know what, Pete? I do have a little racism, a little bit. Not only that, I've got anger against a specific person or a specific people. I do. But it's only a little bit. What I want to say is this. The trajectory of what we saw was a lot bit. It was more than a little. 
But one of the things that I've discovered in the Gospels is God is concerned about just a little bit. He is. And if you were to look at the teachings of Jesus, Jesus said something that really gripped me for my thoughts about last weekend for this morning. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this to the people that were sitting there and to us, specifically those of you that consider yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus. Here's what he said. You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. In other words, those people that actually go do an action based on hatred or anger or whatever it is, when they commit that action, they will be subject to judgment. Here's what Jesus said. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with their brother or sister, in other words, another person or another group of people, will be subject to judgment. And I say, well, wait a minute. I thought, or it appears as though in the Older Testament, that it's when you do the action that you will sit under judgment. And Jesus said, oh, no, 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 no. It's when it's in your heart. Now, why would Jesus say that? Well, for me, it's simple. He's trying to get to it before the action happens. God cares about your heart. And a friend of mine was watching, he lives in Seattle, a friend of mine, dear friend of mine was watching what was playing out in Charlottesville. And what he noticed was how many angry people there were. He said some were marching, but others weren't. And just kind of the anger and the bitterness that was coming out of them when they were being interviewed. And here's what he said to me, don't they realize how that is torpedoing their own life? what he said. And what I love about Jesus is he's God in the flesh. And what Jesus does to you and me is stands before us and say, listen, you may not have acted out and some people may say, yeah, I got a little bit of racism or a little bit of hatred or a little bit of anger. It's just a little bit, but you'd never catch me out there doing that, but I've got a little in here. And Jesus stands in front of us and says, no, that's not how it works. You will stand in judgment for the little bit, even if you're not out there doing the big thing. That's what he says. And I have to be honest with you, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for it in my own life. Because it would be so easy to say, I didn't get out there and do that. I didn't dress up in some uniform and pound on people, and so I'm not really, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom works when it's a little bit. Because what you'll find is all of those people started with a little bit. Then it grew into a whole lot bit. And then you end up where you're at. You see, what we saw last weekend was the trajectory of lives who have not dealt with, honestly, the condition of their hearts. So, as a church family, we are going to respond again. And how we're going to respond, if you're available, is we're going to be meeting with Mount Zion Church. We're going to meet with Mount Zion this coming Wednesday night from 7 to 8. It'll be one hour. We're going to worship at their church, and we're going to have a prayer meeting with Mount Zion. Mount Zion is an African-American church. Dr. Alvin Edwards, who's the pastor of that church, has preached here at City. I've preached at Mount Zion. Many of our congregation members know each other. But when he and I were talking through this and praying through this as part of the spiritual leadership of our city, God prompted him and me that we should join our church families together and have a time of prayer. So if there's any possible way that you can make it, please make it to Mount Zion and get there this coming Wednesday night. But the more important thing for me is if you have a little bit of racism or a little bit of anger. I want us right now to stop and pray. Let's ask God to help us. To help us. Because here's what I know. Anger can keep you warm at night, but it kills your soul.
Let's pray. God, we come before you now with open hearts. And Lord, I know, I am well aware that the Older Testament teaches us in the Psalms that the human heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. We also know that the psalmist prays, God, show me if there's any wicked way in me. Heavenly Father, I believe that all of us that are here want to nip the trajectory towards evil in the bud. And so I pray over my heart, and we pray together over all of our hearts, that if there is anger, if there's hatred, if there's racism or bigotry, we pray that you would reveal it to us. But I thank you, you do not just leave us there, but you give us the strength to be transformed and to be changed by your grace and your love and the power of your spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The verses that we just read, those powerful verses from Ephesians, is a series of two verses that we're going to pick apart as we're talking about a sure thing. Now, what you might not know is that the man that wrote those two powerful verses was a man that was filled with racial hate, anger, and bigotry. His name was Saul, but over time he became the Apostle Paul. And when we meet Saul in the Scriptures, the guy that penned those verses that we're going to read again in just a moment, the guy that wrote those verses was a man when we are introduced to him in the book of Acts, we find him killing one of Jesus' disciples. The disciple's name is Stephen. And Stephen was captured by a group of people that did not want the gospel. And they brought him in front of some religious leaders that were in Jerusalem. And Stephen, with boldness and with filled with love, he shared the gospel of Jesus about the death the burial and the resurrection of Christ and how that can transform us and lead us into God's fullness for our lives. And by the end of Stephen's sermon, those people turned on him. And the book of Acts 7.57 says that when he was finished preaching, they covered their ears and filled with hate and anger and rage. They rushed him and screamed at the top of their voices and they dragged him out of the city of Jerusalem and they stoned him to death. And the Bible tells us that while they were stoning him, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. Saul was officiating the execution and the martyrdom of Stephen. We find him again later in the book of Acts, and it tells us that after that event, Saul became so enraged and filled with hatred, it says that he began to systematically destroy the church. Going from house to house, he, draw, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. And then... The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, that in the midst of all of his hatred and rage and the trajectory of his life was moving towards killing and towards destruction, the Bible says this. We pick him up in Acts 9, 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. You imagine, what must have that physically looked like? to breathe murderous threats. Every breath he took, he was voicing death and destruction to Christians. That's what he was doing. But the Bible tells us that he went to the high priest and he asked for letters of reference so that he could go to the synagogues of Damascus and he could wipe out the church there. But when he was on his way, he was riding or moving along the Damascus Road. And on the way, he met Jesus. And Jesus in resurrected form touched him 
ministered to him, confronted him in his anger and in his business, in, in his bitterness. And in the midst of that, Jesus confronts him. And Saul literally goes physically blind. It's a manifestation of his spiritual blindness. And he goes blind. And he's led by the hand. And he's taken to someone who loves Jesus. And the person prayed for him and heals his blindness. And when you read through the rest of the book of Acts, you see a man who is utterly transformed. But what you would discover is when Saul, now is the apostle Paul, and Jesus has transformed him, he heads back to Jerusalem to minister and to teach. And when he moves into Jerusalem, the people scatter that are Christians. They don't believe he's been transformed. And it takes a guy named Barnabas to go to each one of them and say, nah, he's cool. He's good. He's good. The old Saul that you knew is now the Apostle Paul. Here's what I want to say. Saul became Paul. And what Paul writes to us in these verses that we're going to read again in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, are from his own personal experience. It's what he went through personally. So I want to read it to you again. Here's what he says to the people, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel, or the good news of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, what does all that mean? Especially if you're checking out faith, maybe you've never read the Bible, and you're not real sure kind of what those paragraphs or those two sentences mean. Here's what he says. That the gospel of Jesus is true. It's true. It's the truth. Jesus came into this world, God in the flesh, dead, buried, resurrected, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and has now the power and the authority to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's him. And he said, this is the gospel. And when you believed it, in that moment, you are now included in Christ. And when you look at the text, it says this, that in that moment, you were sealed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now, I want us to look at Ephesians 1.14 real quickly. So the verse is going to go up on the slide. I want you to notice something about what Paul says God has done for you and me in Christ. He says this, you have a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In the moment you say yes to Jesus, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You are sealed. And what he says is, is that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now, I want you to think about this. The deposit is a who not a what. I want you to notice that. When you say yes to Jesus, the deposit God puts on you, the seal he places on you, is a who, not a what. It would look something like this practically. Here's what it would look like. It would look like if I went, let's say, to put a deposit on something I was going to buy. I saw something on Craigslist. Thank you, Jesus, for Craigslist. But I go to buy something, and I need to come back and get it. And the person says what? Give me a deposit. And so I take out a certain amount of money that'll be that kind of guarantee about me returning. And can you imagine if the person said to me, no, nah, I don't want money. I want you to leave your wife. Now, depending on whether we were having a good day or a bad day, that could... No, but you kind of get the point. I mean, you know, the person says, no, nah, you know, it's, this isn't about money. No, I want you to leave a person. 
So at that point, they'd say, how about your wife? And I'd have my three kids with me if they were home, and I'd look at Fran and say, which one are you leaving? So it was going to be Peter. Should we leave Allie? Should we leave Jackie? Which one's been most of a pain lately? Let's figure out which kid we're going to leave. And then we say, okay, whichever one, you stay. Mom and dad are going to go back. We're going to get what we need, and we're going to get the rest of the money, and we're going to come get this. But isn't there a huge difference between leaving a what as a deposit versus a who? Do you get the difference? Because when the writer, when Paul's writing, he recognizes that when God seals us with the Holy Spirit, the moment we say yes to Jesus by faith, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and that sealing of the Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. It's not a what, it's a who. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? Some of you may not be aware. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. But here's what the Bible says about the who of the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, He guides. He comforts. He convicts. He reminds us of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. He raised Jesus from the dead. And the Bible says... He is what God seals me with. He is the deposit placed on me, guaranteeing the inheritance that is to come. Let me illustrate this another way. I remember a time in ministry several years ago where someone asked me to do something. And the questioning went something like this. Hey, Pete, I know that you travel and at times you're willing to do pastoral leadership training. I said, yep, been to Europe several times doing that. I've been here in the States doing that, helping smaller churches kind of understand some things and working with their leaders. And this guy said to me, would you be willing to go and teach some pastors? And I said, sure. And then he said, well, it's in Jos, Nigeria, Africa. I said, I thought you meant Stanton, Pennsylvania. I didn't think you'd say Joss, Nigeria, Africa. And he said, no, Joss, Nigeria. I said, oh boy. And then you know how you try to get out of things? I said, well, how much is that going to cost? He said, it's paid for. I've paid for it all. And here's the true story. He said, I will buy you a business class flight the whole way. Well, I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. And then I said, what am I going to face? And he said, well, I've been there before. I've literally been there. I've been to Joss, know a lot of the leaders, been there many times. I said, wow, that's pretty cool. Then he said this, and I'm going with you. Interesting. Now, there's someone who's asked me to do amazing stuff, but they've paid the price. They've been there before, and they're going to go with me. I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? And what I want to say to you is this. That's what the deposit of the Holy Spirit is in your life. God doesn't just ask you to do something or be something or follow Jesus, but the deposit of the Holy Spirit is this reality where Jesus says to you and says to me, when you're on grounds at UVA, I want you to walk with Jesus. And God wants that. But what does he do? He equips you. The person of the Holy Spirit goes with you. And God has paid the price. God has been there before ahead of you. And now the Holy Spirit will walk with you in the midst of it big difference between saying go get them and then the third person of the trinity empowering us and doing it with us now we get on the plane to take this trip we land in london we're at heathrow airport and as we landed both of our cell phones blew up texts are just streaming in and the text all said this there is a massacre going on in your area of Joss right now. We think you should come home. 
Well, I looked at my friend, my friend looked at me, and I said, you know something, I think God has called us to take this trip. And he said, so do I. And I told him, I said, honestly, ever since I said yes, I've sensed God's presence. I've sensed it profoundly. And I think that's the Holy Spirit with us. And so I texted my wife, Fran, said, been nice knowing you. Life insurance is paid. See you in two weeks. Not really. But we ended up hitting the ground in Joss. And the whole time we were there, I sensed God's presence. It was so profound. I can't put it any other way. It was tangible and profound in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we leave the airport and we're heading out to the region where we've been called to train these pastors. And there was a group of college students from the U.S. that joined us and they went with us. And we went way out to the fringe. And that was the neighborhood in which the massacre was taking place. I remember driving through there. And at that point it was like a ghost town. And we went to a compound that was guarded. It's a very violent place. And we went to this compound and we were there. And the next morning we got up and it was time to begin to train the pastors. And they said, unfortunately, the pastors cannot get here. They're not traveling here. And the reason why was, was that the massacre that took place had to do with a Muslim tribal mix against a Christian tribal mix. And the Muslim tribal mix had showed up and massacred the Christian men that were in this section of the neighborhood. And when we woke up in the morning, you could see smoke rising from their houses and these fire barricades that had been put up to keep the police from being able to get in. They said, well, the training is supposed to be at a compound about a mile from here. And so they took us over there and we entered the compound. They said, the pastors aren't coming. So we were there with the college students and we just kind of waited. And what we saw next, I'll never forget. The door to this compound opened and it was where they used to train the police officers. And as that compound door opened, children started coming in crying. They were orphans. They'd lost their parents the night before. And somehow word had spread that there were pastors that were in the compound and if you get there, you'll be safe. It wasn't long after that that women started coming through the gates crying. They were widows. They'd lost their husbands during the night. And I can remember standing there looking at this, and I'm telling you, a mob began to move in because of the safety. And as people came in crying, other pastors from the community found out we were there, and they snuck over to the compound, and we began to minister to people and to love on people. One of the things I also discovered was that African children are incredible soccer players. Because someone said these kids need a distraction. We're telling them in their tribal tongue that their parents are probably alive, and we're trying to get news whether or not their parents have been killed or not, and we're just trying to keep them. And so they rolled out a soccer ball. Well, I thought I was good at soccer. I was humbled in about two minutes. And they were playing soccer with this raggedy old soccer ball barefoot on a parking lot with rebar sticking up out of the parking lot. Every time I ran, I prayed, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And these kids were just flying all over the place. Here's what I can tell you. In the midst of that, the whole time, I sensed God's presence. I sensed the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that I had sensed when I had said yes was with me and traveled with me the entire time. I can hardly articulate how powerful that was. I want to say this. It's not the first time, nor will it be the last time I have sensed that closeness of God's presence. The Apostle Paul says this to you and to me. When you say yes to Jesus, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit who is the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He's a who. Now, there are three words in the phrases that we've just read that I think are important to understand. And they are sealed, promised, and guaranteed. 
You've been sealed with the Spirit who was promised to you. And He is the guarantee of what is to come. Why are these words important? Each one of them are legal terms. They're legal. Sealed legally denotes an ownership, approval, or closure to mark that what is there has been certified and is what it is supposed to be. That Greek word sealed literally means authenticity and ownership. I love that. When you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is placed on you and it's placed on me. And when he's placed on us, we are sealed. We are legally owned by God. And then promised. The promised Holy Spirit. That's a legal term that denotes a legally binding declaration from one person to another that that person is guaranteed the performance that is supposed to be happening. Promise. And then deposit. Deposit's a neat word. It's the Greek word, erabon. Deposit means a guarantee, a down payment, or an installment which a man gives to legally claim on both sides yet what is to be paid for. The Bible says this. The Holy Spirit seals you. He is the promised Holy Spirit. And not only that, he is the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. They're all legal terms. This is not about emotion. This is flatline legal terminology. That when you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is placed on us as a seal. Legal terminology of ownership. He is the promised Holy Spirit. He guarantees the transaction is final. And the deposit says that what God has begun is guaranteed to be completed. Guaranteed. I also like that word Erebon for another reason. Do you know in modern day Greek, That word deposit in modern-day Greek literally means engagement ring. So in modern Israel, when you buy a ring for someone, it literally, the word is erabon. It's a deposit. It's a guarantee. It's an installment saying you can trust this is exactly what will happen and what's being done will be fully accomplished. And when I think about Erebon that way, it might be a legal term, but man, is it filled with emotion. I've been engaged two times, two times, both to the same woman. After two years of dating, Fran and I got engaged. I gave her an Erebon, a deposit, an engagement ring. She said yes, was full of emotion. Not long after, we called off the wedding. I don't recommend that, but we did. All the gifts had been given. The wedding showers had been done. We called it off. We waited two years more, and I gave her an Arabon again. I'm cheap. It was the same ring that I had given her the first time. She said yes again, full of emotion, full of joy. But you know what the Apostle Paul says? He says the Holy Spirit is the wedding ring, the Erebon, the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, Ephesians 1.14. He, the Holy Spirit, is the guarantee of our inheritance. And just so you know, That verse speaks of all eternity. Our inheritance is an eternal one. And I might not be the smartest guy that has ever lived, but here's what I can tell you about inheritance. You must be alive to get it. You get this? You pretty much have to be alive to get an inheritance. And so when he shows up, the Apostle Paul, and he announces to us, 
that the Holy Spirit is a promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He says this, he guarantees your inheritance, which means you will be eternally alive together. Ephesians 1.14 ends like this. To the praise of his glory. If you were to look in your scriptures or on your smartphone in the Bible, you would disguise, you would notice that that phrase is kind of a tack-on. That the Apostle Paul teaches us so deeply about being sealed, the promise and the guarantee, and then that little tagline says this, the praise, to the praise of his glory. You see, when we understand what is a sure thing, God, through Christ, sets us on a trajectory that guarantees us our inheritance in Christ. Let me tell you, it's a sure thing. When you say yes to Jesus, you are sealed by the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing that God will complete in you and he will complete in me through an eternal inheritance. You and I have that in Christ. Listen, it's a guaranteed trajectory. Guaranteed. The same way hate and bitterness has a guaranteed end, so does the love of God through Christ as we say yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit seals us with a deposit guaranteeing is to come. What I'm going to ask that we would do now is that we would stand together. It is time for us to take communion. If you did not receive the communion emblems, I would like you to raise your hand really high. Keep your hand raised if you did not get the communion emblems. We have people that will be bringing it to you. So keep your hand raised. I'd also encourage you to start opening it now. Our communion emblems are not the easiest to open, and if you need help, please turn to someone. They will help you. Ephesians 1.14. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The question has to be, have you ever said yes to Jesus? Have you ever said yes to him? If you haven't, now's a great time to open up your heart and to say yes. To say yes to Jesus would go something like this, a simple prayer. The prayer would go something along these lines, and if you want to pray it and you know you need to pray it, pray it with me and repeat after me in your heart. Dear Jesus, I don't know everything there is to know about who you are, but I sense in this moment that the Holy Spirit is with me. And I believe in this moment that the trajectory of my life where I've been headed and what I've been doing. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. So Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from where I've been. Give me a new trajectory in life. And Jesus, I ask you that you would seal me with the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing my internal inheritance with you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to take just a moment to sing an old gospel song about what Jesus has done for us, and then we'll take communion together. Let's sing it with all of our hearts.
can wash, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood. Sing what can wash, what can wash. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Jesus, what you've done for us. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment as we commemorate what Christ has done. If you at this moment could close your eyes but leave your hearts open, holding the bread in your hand. Here at City Church, we encourage and invite anyone who feels so led they would take communion with us. You do not have to be a member here at City. What we do ask is that we would all take a moment and examine our hearts because the Bible encourages us and even convicts us and challenges us that we should never take the bread and the cup without at first examining our hearts and seeing if there's anything that we need to bring to God through repentance before we take. Maybe there's something huge in your life you don't feel like taking communion. I want to encourage you to ask for forgiveness and take communion. That's the reason for it. The reason for us to take communion is to celebrate Christ's broken body and his shed blood for the forgiveness and the removal of our sins. Lord, examine us by your spirit. Apostle Paul writes to the city and the church of Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we hold the bread up before the Lord, let's give him thanks. Jesus, thank you for your broken body that through your stripes and your broken body, we are healed. So as we hold up this bread, we do so mindful of what you have done for us. But as we also hold the bread, we whisper a prayer for the healing of our body. Let's partake together.
The Apostle Paul goes on to write, when he had given thanks, in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's return. Loved ones, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You have an eternal inheritance in Christ. And it's through his shed blood that we are forgiven and placed in right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Let's take just a moment to thank Jesus for his shed blood. Jesus, we thank you for this cup the symbol of your shed blood. Thank you for whatever sin we had to ask for forgiveness for has now been covered and cleansed and removed. Thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood. Let's drink the cup together. Ryan, I'm going to ask that you would lead us through one more time. let's sing again about the precious blood of Jesus. Let's sing it together. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you